You know when the clock strikes 12, that Midnight Mania Sports hosted by Austin Takuda and George Hathaway starts right now. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Midnight Mania Sports. I'm George Hathaway alongside with Austin Dakota. Austin, it's been relatively busy in the sports world as of lately and we're just going to kick things off here with the NFL. The most recent thing was Alex Smith. He officially retired from the NFL and what a career he has had. Yeah, I mean, one, he was a high draft pick, right, number one overall, a guy who had major expectations coming in and... You know, some people might say he didn't fulfill those expectations uh, the first half of his career, but he was always a solid player, always a very talented quarterback. But what was the uh, most impressive thing from his entire career was coming back from that injury, you know, mm-hmm. with the, you know, dozens of surgeries, the, the obviously the, the massive leg fracture, um, and then coming back and even playing a snap of football was just incredible. So he deserves to have, I saw it on Twitter, um, I forget who tweeted it, but he does deserve to have the, the Comeback Player of the Year award named after him um, for coming back from that because that just doesn't happen. That's a career-ending injury, and he should be remembered for how tough of a player he was and being able to come back from that. And through it all, he was still a decent quarterback the last few years. He really was good, and I liked him in Kansas City. I thought he was a really great quarterback. He jumped around after that, but I really believe that he, you know, has a lot of determination and grit to his play style. I mean, injury where they thought they were going to amputate his leg, and then he came back and played in the NFL, one of the most, you know, really physical sports out there. I believe, I mean, rugby is another great physical <laughs> sport, but, I mean, football in America is very, very tough and physical. And to come back from an injury like that and to perform, at least, I mean, just not even, you know, at the highest level, but the highest level that he could. And I really think that he's a great player and a great person. I, and I believe that you really should have the Comeback Player of the Year award named after him. I mean, there's nobody else who's gone through stuff like he has and been able to play. So I think, of course, I think in, in a way to honor him really in his, I guess, his legacy in the NFL is just to really name that after him. Yeah, he's a guy, like we said, you know, didn't win a Super Bowl. Um, but a quarterback who was always, you know, a top 20, top 15 quarterback, never, never a top 10 quarterback, but always somebody who was decent and you could rely on to win some games. Certainly great. And I mean, the NFL, I mean, other than that, the news around the NFL is kind of quiet. But do you see the Rams new the, their draft house that they have that they're going to be drafting from? I believe it's in like Malibu. I don't know where it is, but it's, it's on a beach somewhere and they have a huge beautiful mansion just to draft NFL players in. I did see that. That was uh, <laughs> interesting. It's in, it is in Malibu. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just kind of a, it fits Sean McVay, the head coach, very well, I think. He's, he screams Malibu. Uh, so <laughs> that'll be interesting. I mean, I don't think it matters at all where you draft. I mean, no. Bill Belichick drafted on Nantucket with his dog doing the drafting, and they did all right. I mean, you know, Kyle Duggar is <laughs> pretty solid. So Yeah, I mean, and... You can draft in your mansion if you'd like, but and the draft's only, uh, you know, several days away at this point now next week, and I'm really looking forward to it. This this NFL draft's going to be very interesting. A lot of great offensive players, I think, in the first round that we can see going, and especially in the lottery as well. But I mean, Austin here in New England, a lot of eyes are going to be on that 15th pick and to see if the Patriots are going to go quarterback or even wide receiver at this point. I mean, which one do you think that they're going to go with 
you know, first and with that 15th pick. I think, I mean, it depends on who's available at that pick. I think you have some options. If you're going to stay at 15, uh, it's unlikely that Justin Fields or Trey Lance will be there still. And what we've heard in recent weeks is that Mac Jones is apparently going to be taking number three overall by the 49ers, uh, according to <laughs> Michael Lombardi, uh, former GM, a guy who um, does a lot of uh, you know insider sources there. He, he said that 98% of the teams believe that uh, Mac Jones is going three to San Francisco, which then changes things a bit because you have Lawrence going one probably, mm-hmm. um, Wilson going two, we've heard, Mac Jones at three. So then you have Fields and Lance, and some of those teams that – are going to take. I mean, the Denver Broncos are not projected to take a quarterback, but I, I'll make a guarantee. They're going to take a quarterback if Fields or Lance are there. The John Elway and the Broncos are tired of not having a quarterback. They have cycled through a bazillion guys at the quarterback position, so they're going to take a quarterback. So at 15, the problem is, is I don't think you're going to have a quarterback available, whereas a couple weeks ago we thought that Lance or Jones would be there, maybe even Fields. Um, I just don't think you're going to have a quarterback available, so I think you're going to be stuck going with the receiver. And it looks like it could be Devontae Smith. It could be Jalen Waddle. And I'm fine with either of them, but I would oh. rather you bring me Devontae Smith, I think. Of course. He's bigger. He is skinny, but A.J. Green was never a big receiver, and A.J. Green was always kind of skinny, and he played very, you know, very well for about seven seasons. So I'm okay with it if they think that he can hold up and be durable. Um, but like I said, I just can't see a quarterback being there with these recent projections. I mean, they're going to have to trade up, I think, if they want a QB. And with the news, recent news of Mac Jones to San Francisco, what, I mean, Jimmy G now being, you know, there and a lot of trade rumors going around about him because of the recent injury he's had, but how does this affect him, though? Because somebody like Jimmy G who's, been, who's received a lot of money well, by the San Francisco 49ers, led him to the Super Bowl, and then last year got hurt, but still, I think, would you feel threatened by Mac Jones if you're Jimmy G coming in there trying to get that starting position? I mean, are they going to have to fight for it in training camp, do you think? Because I could see that happening, but if I'm the 49ers, Jimmy G is still the guy. Well, no, a thousand percent. If they're taking Mac Jones at three, then Jimmy G's job is gone. You don't, I mean, I think if you're taking a quarterback the back half of the draft, you can bench him and, you know, have mm-hmm. a veteran, but if they're going to take a quarterback at three and they're so sure of Mac Jones being there at three and that's the guy they trade up to get, then Jimmy G's done. Um, he's due $24 million this year, $24 million next year, and then he would be a free agent. Uh, so those cap numbers are a $26 million hit this year, $27 million next year. Uh, so they have they would have to basically um, retool some things with his contract. But you can't have that much money sitting as your backup quarterback, number right. one, which is a problem, which means he's just done in San Francisco if they take Mac Jones. They won't even roster him because I think C.J. Beathard and uh, Mullins are two solid backup quarterbacks if they could keep one of those two. But I just at that price tag, I can't see him being their backup. And if they're going to take Mac Jones at three, it doesn't make any sense for them to have It would be a waste of a pick. I mean, he's at three. You can, I mean, if you're going to take him that high in the draft, you better thrust him in there. Because at some point you're not gonna have him, you're not gonna have him sit the whole season, right? It's just mm-hmm. not gonna happen. So at some point he's gonna go in there, which at some point teams are gonna realize you're gonna have to trade Jimmy G, which would make him untradeable at the deadline because nobody trades for a starting quarterback at the deadline. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't. You don't trade for a quarterback and try to make. It's not a starting pitcher in baseball. It's a it's a whole offense. So they would have to do something now, which I think is why if they take Jones, Garoppolo's done. I mean, you you kind of relate that with. 
somebody like Carson Wentz, who well, got paid, what, $33 million as a backup? I mean, that's just a similar scenario there between the, um, you know, the Eagles and the 49ers. But you have so much money on the line as a franchise. I mean, granted, the 49ers, they're one of the, like, what, one of the richest franchises in the NFL, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've had so much success um, you know, in their history. But I still believe, though, that Jimmy G, he has to be there still. You can't well, just pitch that much money and just be like, oh, you know, we drafted somebody better. Well, and this is a different situation, though, than the Eagles and Jalen Hurts because Hurts was picked with the 53rd overall pick in the draft, and this is the number three pick. A top three pick doesn't happen often. So if you look at the two situations, Wentz was not expected to be benched. People talked about it being a backup season, I mean a bounce-back season, rather, and trying to get him comfortable again. But he was just so bad they didn't have a choice. So there was never an intention to have Jalen Hurts be the starting quarterback last year at any point. But if you have the third pick and you're going to take Jones, there's an in, there's an intention there that he has to be the starter. So I just it doesn't make sense for them to keep Garoppolo. I mean, and they yes they committed that money, but he then tore an ACL, and he then got injured again. His his tight end, his best weapon was hurt. Debo Samuel and his best receiver was hurt. So it was just a couple of lost seasons after. I mean, you got to the Super Bowl, and last year was a lost year. And at this point, you're looking at it, and Garoppolo hasn't been good his entirety of his time there. So if you have the third pick and you have a chance to take somebody who you think is better, you have to jump at that opportunity, I think. No, I think what everyone's probably wondering is, will Jimmy G come to New England? Everybody wants him here, but I don't know for what reason. I don't personally want Jimmy G back in New England. I mean, coming off an ACL injury like that, I don't think he's going to be the same quarterback that he was when he had that three-game stint in New England and everybody thought he was the second coming of Tom Brady. Uh I was never sold on him. Really. I mean, he's a great quarterback. I thought he was good. But he, he didn't lead the 49ers to that Super Bowl a few years back. It was his defense entirely. Right. Offensively, Jimmy G did not play well that year. And I just think that he should not come to New England. I, I wouldn't want him here. And I think they just have it set around Cam Newton at this point. That's the thing is they just built, they spent an entire offseason to build an offense around the mobile quarterback, which fits Cam Newton kind of fits Trey Lance and fits Justin Fields pretty well. So if you're going to go bring in Jimmy G, then there's just, I don't understand it because it doesn't fit the offense really to me. You have a powerful offensive line. You have two massive tight ends that you're going to run behind. And you have pretty solid blocking receivers. And Kendrick Bourne's not bad at all at blocking. Nelson Aguilar isn't probably a blocking threat, but Nikhil Harry, if they can work with him to block this offseason, he could be solid. And Jacoby Myers has been a decent enough blocker for them. So you have an entire offense centered around the run and the quarterback mobility, but if you bring in Jimmy Garoppolo, that that's all at the window. You have to, like, you just spent a whole season with Cam getting him used to that offense, and if you bring in Garoppolo, not only is that a massive cap hit for you in the next two years mm. and restricts you next year, but you're just gonna have to fix your offense. Garoppolo is not running a QB draw. He's not running any of these RPOs a run-pass option. He will not do that. He's just not that flexible. He's he's a quarterback of last decade who isn't mobile. He would have fit in with the Carson Palmers, the Ben Roethlisberger's, the, all those kind of guys who were not Jay Cutler, all those guys. That's, that's what Jimmy Garoppolo is. He's not a mobile quarterback. He's a, pa- a pocket passer, and he's just as average as all those guys were. Especially after an ACL injury, there's no way that he's going to be back to his normal self. There's just no way. And 
it's just he had a few good games in New England, and everyone thinks that it's, that's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. But that's two different offenses that we saw uh, that year versus now. They, like you said, Austin, they entirely changed their offense to a running style. Right. That their their option number one is going to be to run. That's all they're going to do. I mean, is it going to become repetitive? Yes. It's not going to be. Is it going to be entertaining to watch? Probably not, <laughs> because you just see that. Cam Newton take the ball. Yeah. But if he can go, if he can get an open field, Cam Newton's gone, and that can be fun. Unlike Daniel Jones. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Cam Newton, I don't think will trip at all. Now, hopefully. I, I hope not, because if he does, everyone's going to, in New England's going to turn on him quickly and say we should never have kept him. But I think that Jimmy G's not worth it. Is there a fit? I don't know if there's a fit right now in this NFL that could really use it. I mean, Garoppolo, if you put him in the right offense, I think would be okay still. The Chicago Bears come to mind because they've cycled through quarterbacks of his type in the last few years. Uh, if you put him, you know, Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles have been there. Uh, as previously mentioned, Jay Cutler a few years back. Um, but is that the way teams want to go now? I don't know because you even look at like the the most recent quarterbacks that are drafted mm-hmm. with, with Tua, Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow and Tua aren't mobile necessarily, but they can run a little bit. Like they get out of the pocket enough. Um, so everybody coming out of college, Trevor Lawrence is probably the least mobile guy in the first round, besides Mac Jones. I think. I mean, yeah, Mac Jones can't. Run. He's just not an athlete. But I think Garoppolo is. You know, eventually we'll get to a point where. All the quarterbacks are going to be dual threats, I think, in the league. You're not unless the guy has an arm like Roethlisberger or Mahomes, where he can throw it 70 yards. You're not going to see pocket passers. And then again, Mahomes, like I said, he's not a pocket passer. But unless you have that kind of arm, then I mean, a guy like Garoppolo is going to be extinct at some point in the next 10 years because all the offenses are going to switch to that dual threat quarterback, where they can switch it up with those RPOs because they've seen how good Kansas City was. They saw how good Seattle was with Russell Wilson being able to do RPOs. And we saw how good even like even the Rams that year when they went to the Super Bowl against the Patriots, Jared Goff wasn't mobile, but they had a, an exciting playbook that got the receivers involved. I mean, there's other things that you can do, and I don't think the Patriots have the tools that for Jimmy G, but I think there are a couple teams where he could still jump on and be a solid quarterback. I mean, I, this really reminds me of the whole Brock Osweiler situation. Some, but it's very similar, I believe. Brock Osweiler, he wasn't mobile. Oh, no, nope. <laughs> and, I mean, he was pretty much just a tree and just threw a ball. I mean, he barely okay. moved in the pocket. I mean, at least Jimmy G could scramble a little bit, get you a yard or two. But I, if he's in Denver, I, I wouldn't be too surprised if he ended up there. I think mm. they could actually, they would have a good offense around him. I mean, they have Gordon in the backfield. And then their offense isn't too bad. Defense isn't either. So I think they could, that could be a good case for him there. In Denver? In Denver, yeah. Which I would, wouldn't be too bad for him. It. I mean, that's actually probably a decent fit, considering they do have actually some hidden talent on offense. I think Noah Font is going to show this year that he's a top 10 tight end in the league if he stays healthy. Cortland Sutton will be back. Uh, Jerry Judy that they drafted. Um, and even K.J. Hamler is another solid receiver. They have a very dynamic offense that these tools are just waiting to be used and they don't have the quarterback to do it i think drew lock has shown he's had enough enough of the drew lock experiment right yeah i mean we can move past that and i think garoppolo in denver would be something i'd actually like to see happen too i mean if it does happen i i could make a case you could see a case for the denver broncos being up there in the afc west i mean they're not going to be number one because that's Uh the chiefs division of course but i think 
you know, they have the Chargers there, and then you have uh, Oakland or Las Vegas rather in that division right. as well. So I think they could actually be number two, maybe three, in that division if they added Jimmy G. I think that would be a really good fit for the Denver Broncos. But you know, with the draft coming up, I think all eyes are going to be on New England Patriots. I think a lot of people are going to see what can they do with this offense because they spent so much. They, they spent a lot in free agency. They got a lot of key players that they needed to fit. And you're kind of questioning, well, what else do they need on top of it to really add to this offense and defense that they have that's very young, too? And keep in mind, this is probably the youngest Patriots team we've seen in a while. I don't remember anybody, any team younger. Maybe when they first started their dynasty uh, in the 2000s, that was a very young Patriots team. But still, I think now is that they, you know, Belichick's getting older, the players are getting younger, and they're going to start adapting to each other and kind of find this mesh middle ground in this gray area of where they can kind of compromise and see what fits best for the playbook that Belichick makes and what the players are also skilled at. I think the good thing about the Patriots still is you as much as there is a youth you know, influx on the team overall, you still have your Devin McCourty, mm-hmm. your Stephon Gilmore, um, even Dante Hightower. And on offense, however, you are lacking the veterans a little bit. I mean, you have Cam Newton, of course. Right. But Cam's, a, Cam's a veteran in the league, you know, not necessarily a Patriots veteran, but I think he bought in so much last year that he is a Patriots veteran now mm-hmm. because he, he really bought in, I think, to the whole Patriot way last year. But it's it's so hard when you don't have that Edelman on your team. And that's right. what I mean. That's what they're gonna miss. Right. Meanwhile, his entire you know his you're not gonna replace him on the field, but you can come a little bit closer than you know replacing him off the field because he's that guy in the locker room. He's the guy that's just gritty, and it's hard to find another one of him. Um, but they are fortunate enough to have a, a McCordy, um, to have a Matt Slater in the locker room still. Where a lot of teams don't. You know, you look at the New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees is gone. Uh, who's going to lead that locker room? There's not really another guy that jumped. I mean, Cam Jordan's been there 10 years now. Michael Thomas? Michael Thomas, though, I don't think, <laughs> I'm not sure how, you know, much of a locker room leader he is. You know, he has seems to have a... James Winston. Amount. He's a good, he's a good oh, leader in the locker room, I'd say. I don't know about that one. I mean, the guy licked his fingers for a W1 <laughs> game and Deshaun Jackson Everyone got hyped. went home. And that, didn't, that didn't go over well. Um... But I, don't, I also don't know if he's going to be the starting quarterback. Right. But, you mean, besides, you know, that's besides the point. But I think it's hard to replace Edelman in the locker room more than on it the is. field. And like you mentioned, because of how young they are, it, it could be an interesting first few, four or five games. But the, also the good part is, is you just signed two tight ends who are, yes, they're young, but they've each played four years in the league. And they know, you know, they know what it takes to win. Right. Obviously, Janu Smith with Ryan Tannehill and the Titans have made the AFC Championship. Hunter Henry with Philip Rivers uh, doesn't necessarily know what winning is, you know, like in the playoffs, <laughs> but they've they've made it. They you made know, it. And right. He's a competitor. Philip Rivers is a competitor, so it's good to have those guys and that experience, although they are very young still as a team. Yeah, and honestly, I think you had a good point though. It's going to take a few games for this Patriots team to really kind of click. And Boston fans, New England fans, don't be quick to jump on them and you know, kind of bail on them, you know, for the first few games because this is a young team. And like we've seen with a lot of young teams, that it takes time. Mm -hmm. And another young team, I guess we can kind of segue over to this, is the Boston Celtics. I think this is a team that has found a rhythm as of late. And, I mean, that came between the Warriors and Celtics, Austin. 
one of the best offensive games I've seen in a while. I mean, it reminded me uh, of that Rams-Chiefs one, uh, of that football game and the high-scoring game. And I mean, Steph Curry, Jason Tatum put on a show. Yeah, Jason Tatum's played really well this last you know month, actually, as a whole. He's been very, very effective. But what's disappointing is you have a game like that with the Warriors and you, you know, have that six-game win streak or so. And then in the last night, you come out and you lose to the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. So Daniel Tice got the last laugh there. Uh, no, he didn't. <laughs> I'll always have the last laugh over Daniel Tice. He <laughs> got traded for nothing. So, that, I mean, looking at the box score, not to beat a dead horse here, but Daniel Tice was three for nine. So... Yeah. And had six points. I'm six not vouching points. for him whatsoever. I yeah. hope you know that. But I, I just figured I'd point that out for our <laughs> Celtics fans out there that Daniel Tice only had six and six last night, and he had five fouls. But that's are we surprised though with the five fouls? I'm surprised it wasn't six. <laughs> so that's what I'm surprised about. But looking at the you know the, the, the roster as a whole, Tatum was on fire, and then comes out against the Bulls and shoots three for seventeen with only fourteen points. Um, obviously, in this game, you're missing Kemba Walker, right? You're without Marcus Smart. Um, so it's your, two of your better players are gone, but you would like Jason and Jalen to pull it together and win because you look at other teams in the past. Um, Kawhi and PG can win games in L.A. without Pat Beverly, without um, Zubak, you know, without Morris. They can come together and win games, especially against like a team like the Bulls, who are now 24 and 33. Uh, not a great record at all, so no. you'd think you'd be able to pull it together. You know, it's it's not that disappointing because, like I said, no Kemba, no Smart, but you'd like to see a win. Yeah, especially like a team like the Bulls who are trying to somewhat, you know, at least get a little bit, a few more wins under their belt. So I think that, you know, you're right. You are missing some key plays, but you're also coming off a tough game, you know, against the Warriors like that. I mean, Steph Curry has had one of the best months. The last 10 games have been some of the best we've seen in NBA history. I mean, they put it all out there, and I can see why that they might have been a little tired from it. You know, I don't know what it was, but the consistency, though. I mean, Jason Tatum, he put up 40-plus against the Warriors, but then going 3-for-17 against the Bulls, you'd like to see a little bit more than that from him, uh, especially against the Bulls team who does, you know, lack in some sort of defense. So uh-huh. I, I think I'd be, you know, I was a little disappointed. And going back to... Uh, Kendrick Perkins said is he wanted Jason Tatum to be that leader. We saw it for that six-game stretch, but I don't know what happened after, uh, you know, during the Bulls games that we didn't really see that leader in Jason Tatum. And I want to, I'm hoping that he kind of finds that rhythm back soon because, you know, the Celtics just want to keep going up in the East. And this is a division right now where that middle is uh, very, you know, it's going to be fluctuating. So he's going to have to step up and play really hard and it's just going to take a lot out of him but he has to be prepared because that's what it's like to be an elite player in the NBA that's the thing is um they're going to be at a point where they're going to be fighting for the what four through seven seed Mm -hmm. and let me tell you you don't want the seven seed because then you're going to have to face either the, the Nets the Bucks or the Sixers first round and if you face the Sixers first round it's not last year or the Nets you're going to lose mm-hmm. because the Sixers first round this year are much better. Uh, the Nets, obviously, you don't want to face them until you have to. Well, I mean, they James Harden is going to be out indefinitely with a hamstring injury, and we're going to see 
how that might affect them. Yeah, I but mean, I think it's just a rest thing. I think mm-hmm. they're just, you know, I mean, he probably has a little hamstring, but they're trying to. And KD, too. Right, they're trying to preserve those guys for the playoffs because they know they're making the playoffs. They know they're getting a top four seed with how jumbled the rest of the conference is. Uh, so I think they're trying to rest them up a little bit. But you need to secure, like, the four seed because you need to be able to have a first-round matchup that's not going to go seven games. Uh, you, you need to ha- be able to have a seed where you can win in five games and just move on and get your guys rested because we can't have Kemba Walker playing seven games in the first round. The guy's not going to make it to round two. So they got to step up, though, soon to get that to get that underway. And the Celtics, I think, you know, their stretch in the East is going to be tougher, especially if they are that lower seed. Uh, and they, they need to play really well together. I mean... We talked about this so many times on the show that we're sounding like a broken record, but I mean, if the Celtics do end up being a lower seed, what Brad Stevens, what does this mean for him? Because as we found out recently, Indiana gave him a hefty contract to go coach there. <laughs> I think he might be taking that offer. Or, <laughs> I don't know if didn't they filled the position, didn't they? Now? Yeah, they but did. I think I think Brad um, is committed to the Celtics, and they're committed to Brad. You know. I think he has another year left, you know, in him. And then if next year is a bust, and they, if they lose first round this year, right, and then next year something similar happens, he's done, and so is Danny. Because at this point, you're, what, four years in with supposed to be competing. You had Kyrie. Kyrie's gone. Give Kemba now. Uh, so Kemba comes in. He takes over that role, and you're expecting to continue to compete. But you just you can't continue to be mediocre when you're when the expectations are up here. And you're continually coming in below the expectations. Yeah, and that's the problem with the Celtics is that we've kind of seen a downward trend from them lately. Eastern Conference Finals a few years in a row. Uh, I mean, and then they started, and of course, I mean, they kept losing every single year. But then, you know, I think last year was really when they started going downhill hard. And after the loss to the Miami Heat, which I thought they should have won. Uh-huh. And they didn't have the size, they didn't have the strength to really guard the Miami Heat. And Tyler Hero was just, you know, unbelievable, and now he's nothing. So I, <laughs> well, I, I don't know about nothing. He's averaging about seven points per game in like thirteen percent shooting, though. In, in like the last the la- what, week or so, yeah. Uh, last, I, I believe, the last few weeks, yeah. I mean, he's been playing rough, but I think the addition of Jabari Parker is going to help the Celtics. I hope so. I really, I mean, Jabari Parker was going to be the next big thing. I, he was phenomenal. I was all in. I thought he was going to... I wanted him to be the number one pick over Wiggins in that draft. He, he probably... If he did, who knows what his legacy could have held for him. But I think with a few injuries, uh, it set him back a little bit. But the Celtics are giving him another chance, which... I don't know. The Celtics, are they kind of going to start giving other players other chances? Because if so, Isaiah Thomas would be one of those guys you would love to see given that second chance by the Celtics. But I think there's a connection there, though, with Jabari Parker and Jason Tatum. You know, they've, they've had a history together. They, they went to the same college. They, they know what it's like to play with each other in the system that they played in. And I think Jason Tatum's really helped Jabari Parker out learn uh, the Celtic way. And I think just Jabari Parker is, is great offensively. He can be that score when you need him to step up. But defensively, I've seen him have some great steals against the Bulls uh, in that game. 
and he had you know, great passes. So I think that you know everything that the Celtics are looking for in a big man, like Jabari Parker isn't that big, but he's a modern day four, which yes, five ten years ago he's not. He's a three. Right. So you know being at that four where the Celtics need a little bit more size and a little more bit bit more built, I think he can really help them out uh, in the long run. They're competing against teams that have a lot bigger matchups. You know, like the Bucks or the Sixers. Yeah, I like Jabari a lot as a scorer. Um, you know, he's had an unfortunate NBA mm-hmm. career. The two torn ACLs don't help. I mean, when you're when you're talking about mobility and a guy going east to west, you know, laterally, he's having a tough time because of I think those ligament issues that mm-hmm. he had in his knees uh, really set him back. Set back his flexibility, his endurance, his mobility, which hurt him defensively, but. If he can just come off the bench and give you 10 points a game, that's what you need. They don't have that right now because you have Marcus Smart, right, who's not the most consistent guy. But if you can have Jabari off the bench for 10 a game with Fournier, that's a good second unit now. And I just think that he still has potential. Jabari Parker is 26 years old. That's young. He's still young. He hasn't, you know, really. Feels like he's been in the league forever. That's the thing is he he really has, but it's it's just unfortunate the way his career shaped out the seven years he's played, and Sheesh. It, it's hopefully that you know he's not an all star he's not going to be an all star no again, he won't but if he can just come off the bench and give you ten a game that's great that's all you need, and I think he'll help the Celtics because Grant Williams doesn't belong on a basketball court. Wow, have you seen how bad Grant Williams has played lately? Yes, I I did watch yes. Yeah, he has been playing really rough. I mean, against the Bulls, he was one for six overall. He had five points, a turnover, three fouls, and was a minus nine. Meanwhile, nice. everybody else on the Celtics besides Jalen Brown uh, and Romeo Langford were like a minus three. I mean, Grant is just he. Every time he's on the court, bad things happen essentially. <laughs> and it's not like I mean, it's all over Twitter. If you go and look at Grant Williams on Twitter, I don't know if there's any Celtics fans still defending him. I, I thought the pick was fine. I thought he had potential to be like a Boris Diaw, who was very valuable with the Spurs when they won two championships, and be a guy who could be, you know, 10 points a game, five assists, five rebounds. Fine. Great. Have him be the, the glue guy. But he has not worked out, and that experiment is done. I am ready for that to be over. Awesome. I don't know if you saw this, but Skip Bayless today on his, on his show, Undisputed, when he goes, I can name 10 players that offensively are better than Steph Curry. Right? And he, and he named, it was about a minute-long video of like him explaining. Bill Walton was one of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he said yeah. Bill Walton was that's, better offensively than Steph Curry. Well, that's just for clicks, I think. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I mean, it depends what you define as like a skilled offensive player. If you're saying who can do more things offensively, probably Steph Curry. But, I mean, Bill Walton has a bazillion moves down in the post that he could hit you with. But Steph has a bazillion moves on the three-point line that he could hit you with, dribble-wise and creating shots. So I don't... I mean, so I guess my question is, is he the best offensive player in the M- that the NBA has ever seen? Steph? Yes. No. I mean, he's very good at what he does, but I, I mean, Michael Jordan was just one of the best scorers ever. I mean, Kobe Bryant, Allen Iverson, I'd still put over him. Um, I mean, Steph's obviously incredibly talented, but Kobe Bryant would score 60 points a game without hitting 10 threes. Right. He would that's get, a, he that's would the difference. A hundred ways. And, you know, no offense to Steph, but like, He's having these 40, 50-point games, and he's hitting eight threes, which is impressive to hit eight threes. But at the what same else time, can he do? right, he's, it can be a little limiting because he's just hitting all these threes. And then, you know, layups, obviously. And I don't think Steph has, like, I don't see him really, you know, I don't see highlights of him taking mid-rangers or, you know, 
back. I don't think I've seen anybody's taken any mid range well, highlight I videos. I mean, you look at Kobe Bryant. Right? Yes, his whole game back to the basket. You know, Beautiful. D Wade just like that. I think even D Wade's probably a better offensive player. I think than Steph because D Wade could do more things than Steph. Steph obviously a phenomenal three point shooter, but I not that I agree with Skip that you know. Bill Walton's a better one, but I I don't think I'd I think he named big um, you know Oscar Robinson also ahead of him as well. That's an interesting one. Yeah. I mean you got to like it depends what he skip defines it as, but I just think there's a lot of guys recently too. Like obviously depends how you define a score, and it is impressive to hit that many threes. But for a guy who can do everything, look at D Wade, look at Kobe Bryant, Allen Iverson. Um, those those guys can get to the basket. You know obviously Kobe and D Wade could dunk. AI mm-hmm. really wasn't a dunker, but they could also just post you up. They could lose you with a dribble. They could hit some threes when they need to. And, you know, I don't know if Steph is necessarily a guy who's going to create that mid-ranger. So I think he's lacking that little piece of his game. Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer, the best of shooter of all time, in yeah. my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. Who do you have as the best shooter? you have somebody different? Best shooter? Like, just like pure shot? Yeah, if you're taking, I, I believe that Clay Thompson has a better form than Steph Curry when it comes to shooting. Well, I'd say that, but who? If you had to, if like your if your life was in danger and you had to pick <sighs> one NBA player ever to hit a three pointer, not even oh. like clutch. He doesn't even know it's pressure. If mm-hmm. you're just if you're just having a guy hit a three, I'm taking Steph Curry. He's the best three point shooter ever. All right. I mean, okay. If I had to, even if there's pressure, he's hitting the shot. Fate on the universe type situation. I don't know about that. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go Ray, Ray My, Allen in that situation. Yeah, but I mean, I would still. I still think. I think it would probably if I had to take one to hit a three, save my life or whatever uh-huh. in that situation. I'd take Damian Lillard, mm. most clutch shooter. Ever. Yes, but I think Steph, like you watch his workout videos, and he hits 95 out of 100 threes, or even more, 99 out of. 100. I think it was a 99. That was insane. Dame will probably hit 90. Like, yeah, he's a phenomenal three-point shooter. Dame should be in the conversation for MVP. I just think Steph is just at a different level. I mean, he has 20 games in his career where he's hit 10 threes or more. That's, that's insane. The, but that's his the game, next though. Guy is at five, and they have five. Uh, games that's Clay Thompson, I think. I think so. And Steph has five this year. I know that's so what's insane. He has more. It, it, granted, point, he's three point games, and Clay has his whole career, which is just insanity. Well, granted, Steph Curry's amazing three point shooter. I mean, but I think offensively, I mean, I believe if I think Kevin Durant might be better than him offensively. Yeah, I'll give all you time. That one. I, I mean, think KD's Kevin Durant one of the best scorers of all time. I, I think he might be the best. If not, he could be. But he he probably has the best mid, one of the best mid range shots. I can name yeah. somebody else who I can name some other players who had great mid range shots, but he can do it all. I mean, KD doesn't. His game is not threes. He's a seven right. foot and he can power do. forward. He can yeah. dribble. He can take you one on one to the lane. Uh, you lay it in, take it, pull up mid range, or he can just spot up and shoot a three. That's why I think Kevin Durant is probably one of the most versatile NBA players I think we've ever seen. At seven feet tall, how many guys in the league at seven feet? have lasted that long right like and Kevin Durant and granted, it's been so successful granted he has had injuries but he's still I mean he's lasted longer than most of them like he even with the injury he's played what 11 12 seasons now and he's scored like 27 points a game in all of them and the guy is just a pure scorer like you said I mean he has an incredible mid-ranger he can back you down he can hit a three he can drive to the hoop there's nothing he can't really do I mean I'd put him against anybody and you, you want to hear this one you, that? <laughs> ready Zion Williamson. About what? What is he? He's probably one of the best inside scorers we've ever seen since Shaq. 
I mean, since Shaq. Since Shaq. Here we go with the Shaquille O'Neal. I'm not saying that. I'm not comparing them. I'm saying he's probably one of the best inside scores we've seen since Shaq. I mean, I don't think. I mean, he's yeah, he's a very good inside scorer. Yes, he's dominating. But like, but like from Shaq on, who's been better than Zion? As an inside scorer, give me Kevin Garnett on Zion. Kevin Garnett. That'd be a great one-on-one. No, it would not. Kevin Garnett would absolutely destroy. No, that no, but that'd be so entertaining to watch. I mean, I think Garnett would talk so much trash that Zion would just go home, take his new sneakers, and you know. His new sneakers are fire. (laughs) Those are nice-looking shoes. I don't mind them. Yeah, I mean, the problem is, is like what people don't realize is, it's hard to create new designs now. Some people were saying they're just kind of basic, but like. What do we want to do? It has like a mini Z on the yeah, side, I mean, you know, every, and that's as basic as you can get. Every design's pretty much been done, like every color scheme, every, you know, pattern. But like, I mean, I don't mind it. It's his own shoe. It looks fine. I'd buy it. He's the first, you know, NBA player in our generation, like Gen Z, to have a signature shoe. That's insane. Oh, yeah, because when was he born? What was 2000. He? So that's Gen Z, right? Yeah. That is weird. I mean. Isn't that weird, Austin? He He's like a year older than us and it has a signature shoe. Yeah. What do we with, have? With Jordan. Uh, we don't have a sig- we have a podcast <laughs> show and a radio okay. show. But I mean, but, that's better than Zion. He doesn't have one. I mean, but you look at it and he's <laughs> the only dude in the world at that age with a signature shoe. But, that's insane. I mean, I don't mind it at all, but going back to your, you know, mm-hmm. he is a dominant inside scorer, but put him in the NBA that Shaq played in and he's not getting a bucket inside. It's just not going to happen. He's he's 6'9". Everybody in that era was... I think he could take on Carl Malone. Oh, boy. Right. <laughs> I'm just Go saying. that one and see how, how NBA I Twitter th- reacts. NBA Twitter, I think. Nobody in the NBA Twitter likes Carl Actually, Malone. NBA Twitter is not very reliable because it's, it's all 14-year-olds. It, it's all trolls saying ratio every five seconds. Yeah, I mean, they're all like 14-year-olds who think... Who think LeBron's the best player to ever LeBron, live. Well, yeah, and they also think that, like, Dame Lillard's, you know, better than AI and stuff. I mean, it's it's... NBA Twitter is very... It's very online. It's very recent. It is. Yeah, it's... it's they're, they're watching, you know... <laughs> Steph Donovan Curry. Mitchell, and they're, they're thinking he's, like, the next best shooting guard and, you know, the the greatest of his generation. Cause they have he's not. Guy. I don't even think he's close he's to like that. He's, fine. He's always going to be an all-star, but he's never going to be, like... He won't be elite. The guy, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Here's my only problem with Zion when it comes to inside scoring, though. Because you just mentioned uh, Donovan know. Mitchell made me think of Rudy Gobert for some odd well, reason. Yeah, Rudy Gobert will dominate Zion. No. Yes. No, what? No way. Where to go, Bears? If I saw him on a one-on-one, How I'd take Zion. How is Zion going to get around him? Do you see he's, the size of Zion? Yeah, he's he's, he's, not he's a tall. tank. He's a tank. Where to go, Bears? Seven two and the two-time defensive player. One little year. shoulder, and then there goes Zion right oh, to the lane. Lefty, lefty yeah, too. Where to go, Bears? Seventy-nine-inch reach is going to reach over and block you. And his Zion's 79-inch vertical is going to jump all right over him. <laughs> not with those knees. He's not jumping over anybody. Maybe the new shoes. You know, he might not blow out of them. Yeah, maybe that will be it. I mean, the only guy jumping over anybody is prime Blake Griffin. Over That's at Ikea. Insane. I don't think Zion could jump over Ikea. Zion can jump. Zion jumped on Taco Fall and wasn't even scared. I'm not scared of Taco Fall. He seems very friendly. He seems like a very, that's what, you know, that goes back to my point. Seven feet players besides Kevin Durant can't last in the NBA. What? I mean. I mean, it, like, at a, at a high level. Well, it depends how, yeah, I mean, like, you look like at. Like, Yao Ming was good. Yeah, but for, like, what, seven seasons? Yeah. I mean, did he win an MVP? I don't know if he did. I don't think question. so. But, yeah, I mean, if guy's that big. I mean, obviously, Yao is much taller. I mean, seven six rather than, you know, seven feet. 
Uh, he's yeah, I was a Hall of Famer. I don't see an MVP though. Yeah, I mean, of, of course he's. But still, be I mean, he was an All Star. You know, an incredibly good player. But just like the guys like Durant, you know, even um, your Grant Hills, who were taller power forwards, they got injured very often. Grant Hill couldn't. He could have. He would have been better than LeBron. Right. And well, part or of it is because as good he as Jordan with Fila for his, his shoe deal. And <laughs> That's what happened. He was the first basketball player they really had, and he just kept getting. Who else injured. signed with Fila? I, somebody I feel like in the last like few years had. Um, I know Terry Rozier's with Puma, which was surprising to me. A lot of players are with Puma. Recently, yeah, they've gotten a lot. I think that's and Adidas too. You've seen a lot like Damian Lillard and James Harden both have uh, Adidas deals. Those are big ones, but Jerry Stackhouse was with, was with Fila and DJ Augustine. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of DJ Augustine's name forever. I mean, he's still kicking around somewhere. Overseas, maybe? No, no, no. I think he was he was on the Bucks to start the year, but he got moved as a deadline. No. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I think offensively, Steph Curry would top five all time offensively. Maybe ten. Yeah, I'll give him ten. But it's tough though, because I think it. Like I said, we talked. It, d- about, it what defines t- uh, it depends offense? Depends what you're looking at. There's. It's hard to compare bigs to guards and wings to bigs. So, I mean. It's like saying who's the top ten offensive player in the NFL of all time. You're looking at is it all quarterbacks the list or That's is it true. running backs, quarterbacks, receivers? It's hard because yes, they're all offensive players, but they do different things offensively. I wouldn't even put Tom Brady in that list of like I would I wouldn't put him like top three. Really? Like offense, like his number wise. Well, I mean, yeah. If we're looking at it like his total yard and everything, but I mean, like Grant, he has touchdowns, of course. And the but playoff wins, the Super Bowl wins are tough because those come into factor. Right, into and play, I mean, rather. those add in to those stats as well. I mean, like Aaron Rod, someone like Aaron Rodgers is equally up there, right. but you know, doesn't win whatsoever. Can't win. Uh-huh. I don't think he ever will again. I don't Rogers? think. I don't, th- I don't think. I don't think last year he has a shot at it. I mean. They've just dropped the ball, like, getting him help. But, yeah, I mean, he's one of the – I mean, what he can do with his arm is just incredible. Right, and then that's what I'm saying, though, is that, like, he's did it without going to uh-huh. you know, uh, deep into the playoffs in, right. in the NFL, unlike Brady, who's done it every single time that he's, you know, played pretty much. So, I don't know. You're right. I mean, let us know, though, what defines an offensive player in the NBA because we're kind of interested to hear what you guys have to think if Steph Curry is one of those top 10 um, offensive players of all time. But, I mean, we've got some time, Austin. What about defense, defensively? Ooh, for the NBA? Yeah. That's incredibly difficult. Um, <laughs> I don't know off the top of my head who was I'd like have to think about it a little defender. bit more. Um, you mean, you look at recent players who are just incredible. I mean... Giannis has been dominant as a mm-hmm. defensive player recently. Rudy Gobert, those guys are obviously at the top of the list for recent players. Um, Michael Jordan was such a good defender, he too. Underrated he defender. About when he played basketball. But, I mean, there's always been glue guys who have been so good at defense. When, like, not the best of all time, but you look at Tony Allen, Marcus Smart, guys who were on the Celtics, Pat Beverly. Drew Holiday. There. Drew Holiday is a tremendous defensive player. Um, but there's a few options for, like, all time. I mean, recently, like I mentioned, those guys come to mind. I think Isaiah Thomas, not, like, IT4 Isaiah Thomas, but bad boys IT. of Detroit yeah. uh, Isaiah Thomas, an underrated defender as well. He was good. He was he was uh, physical. Very physical. I mean, if you if you go back far enough, if you look at Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, oh, yeah, I mean, those guys, yeah. I mean, they dominated. Uh, Gary Payton, probably one Another of the best. Another great one. Um, Tim Duncan and Garnett. Garnett's up there because Garnett was such a good defender. He was physical. 
I mean, he led the defense. Like, I mean, it's hard now to say, like, in that it's a weird term to use in basketball terms to say a guy led the defense, but Kevin Garnett was the defensive leader. You know what I mean? Like, I the, think, yeah. You got back on defense, nobody was, no one's driving on Garnett. 12-time all-defense. Um, I mean, defensive I, I guess that kind of names it for it. 12-time so, all-defense, yeah. and then he won a defensive player of the year. That should, that That's much it. wraps it up for KG. That's and I mean, <laughs> I think for Kevin Garnett is, you know, defensively, he was there mentally in your head every single possession. That's the biggest thing. And which takes a toll. If you're offensively and you're playing against Kevin Garnett and you're backing him down and he's just like, you know, John at the bit with you and talking trash in your ear, you know, little you know, shoulder bumps here and there. I mean, you'd get annoyed. And then you start playing bad because you'd be more frustrated with him than you would be the actual focusing on the actual game. That's what made him a great defender. I'm not like saying yeah, like yeah, yeah. his stats aren't know a real reason to back him up but i think mentally and his play style kevin garnett was a great defender underrated i don't think a lot of people realize how great of a defender kg really was yeah i mean we saw it in boston i think it, it was unfortunate for him that he had to play in minnesota for a good bulk of mm-hmm. his career i mean nothing against minnesota it's just they didn't probably have, one of the worst franchises well, he didn't get much attention there you know what i mean he didn't get the the coverage that he deserved i don't think until he came to Boston, you know, in Brooklyn, people, a lot of the recent people, I remember how he wasn't that great in Brooklyn, but I just think that if he was with Boston for, you know, his entire 12-year career, you're looking at probably three Defensive Player of the Year awards rather than just the one. If he was in Boston for his, his entire career, do you think they would have won more than one? Well, I can tell you, if he was with Boston, say, let's just, you know, for fun's sake, if they had him and Pierce, Ray Allen would never have been a Celtic. The only reason Ray Allen was a Celtic was because they were supposed to have the number one pick of the Kevin Durant draft, mm-hmm. and they didn't get it. They got, you know, number five or six and ended up with Jeff Green. So Danny Ainge got really angry and traded for Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett. But I think if you at some point you have KG and Pierce, you're not in the running for that Durant pick. Danny Ainge never gets mad, never trades for Ray Allen. Imagine if they did get KD. <laughs> It'd be such a different life. It'd be such a different life. You'd be I mean, so happy. We would have never had the, the championship in 08, I don't think. We're, I mean, he probably would have left again. Oh, KD? He, he probably would have left here to to go, you know, who knows where. Probably Golden State still. No, I think he, if, KD, if KD was drafted, I think he probably... We, I, we could see him down in Miami. Played. What if he went to Miami? I don't know. I mean, nobody stays anywhere anymore. No. That's why I'm not even convinced Tatum and Brown are staying after their five years are up here. But that's, you know, that's a... I think if ownership changes, they'd stay. I don't even think the Celtics' ownership's a problem at all. I mean, not ownership. I'm sorry. uh, General, yeah, Yeah. front office. I mean, Danny... Danny's uh, trying his best, I guess. I don't know. I I guess that's what gets you to Eastern (laughs) Conference, right? That's all. I mean, he's got to... You gotta have a if if, if that eventually. was what it takes to get to the Eastern Conference, Austin, let's just let's just run it, you know. No, I know. Let's I just mean, run that run that front office. See, try uh, your hardest, and you won't get fired. <laughs> I mean, yeah. At some point, he's got to go. I mean, mm-hmm. I like the guy. I mean, I've been a big Danny supporter for the last five years, but at some point, you need results. It, and yeah. You look at every other team. The Warriors transitioned very quickly into results. You know, even the the Raptors were able to steal one. You know, get a get a championship. That's with, yeah, without so, Kawhi, I don't think right. they would have. But still, he was able to make that move, um, Masai out in, in Toronto, and make that move to get the star, surround him with great talent, and win a championship. And Danny Ainge just failed to do that when he's had better talent than that Raptors team had. You know who has good management? The Boston Red Sox. I think Alex Cora is probably one of the best managers in baseball. Right yeah, now. that's the biggest thing. I think 
last year was a lost season from the start. You know, no yeah. Cora. Nothing against Ron Renneke. Wicked nice guy. Uh, a solid coach. Just not a baseball manager. And he knew that, too, which was unfortunate. But last year was just out the window right away. No video replay. J.D. Martinez had no shot of having a good year. Uh, but I think this year is such a different year. I mean, they, they're competitive. They have the, the, the coach they want. And it, it's going pretty well so far. 11-6 and six on the season? I mean... They're one of the best teams in baseball right now. And Austin, I want to point this out because I, I tweeted it to a friend of ours yesterday. Uh-huh. The Pirates are better than the Yankees. They are. The Yankees are like the, they're the worst team. And remember still? when the MLB said that they're the third in the power rankings? They fell off since then. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I'm, I'm happy. You know, that, made, that really made my day yesterday when I saw the Pirates were better than the Yankees. Uh-huh. I, I was the happiest P- Pirates fan alive. Yeah, I mean, doesn't take much. You look at the MLB standings right now. The New York Yankees are the worst team in the American League right now. Are, they are. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they're five, five and ten. ten. They are the worst team in the league. The Detroit Tigers are above them at six and ten. The Yankees are the worst team in the American League. They are the second worst team in all of baseball. The Rockies are worse. The Rockies are. Home. I forgot they're a team. I mean, to be <laughs> honest. They'll not, I mean, they have another similar ownership situation as the Pittsburgh Pirates, but for the Yankees to have that payroll and be the... I mean, granted, it's 15 games into a 162-game season, but you should never really be in last place unless it's game two. I mean, you lose the first game. Yeah. But, I mean, for the Yankees to be the worst team 15 games in, which is three times through the rotation, right? all their starters have made three starts. Granted, you're missing Severino. You should be sitting at least 500 right now and not the worst. I mean, you're worse than the Detroit Tigers right now. The and Tigers. Some, and the Yankees have spent so much money to acquire the best players in baseball and haven't done anything. Like, it's just sad. It's sad at this point. It's that every single year, Yankees just dish out money like it's nothing. It's like they're printing their own money and giving it out to their players. And they're just like, here you go. Uh-huh. Uh, we can promise you a championship because we have the best players. Well, here we are, and they're five and ten. I mean, they have the second highest payroll in baseball, at, um, right behind the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Yankees are at two hundred. But at least the Dodgers won, though. That's the thing. That's the thing. The Dodgers win. They're one of the best teams in the league right now, top five. And the Yankees at two hundred million dollars for their payroll. Million? The Dodgers are at two hundred forty-seven million, so they're way over the luxury tax. <laughs> but the Yankees at two hundred million dollars are five and ten. So. That just shows you money doesn't really matter. I mean, the Cleveland Indians have the lowest payroll at $48 million, which I'm pretty sure Garrett Cole makes just about as much for the Yankees. So, <laughs> I think Garrett Cole can buy... Look at the Indians on a teams. bargain right there. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's just... And it just goes to show that in baseball, money doesn't buy you success. Yeah. I mean, when we look at a team last year, like the Tampa Bay Rays, one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, if I'm correct, right? Yes, yeah, so they were right and, up there, top and, five lowest. And they had success. It's because they, they had these players that they farmed in their, you know, minors, and they brought them up, and they, they did well with them. And you, you, I don't know what teams are trying to be like that, but, I mean, the Yankees clearly doesn't work for them, and it's just sad at this point because one of the best teams in Major League Baseball historically just can't seem to win whatsoever since what, 2009. It's been 12 years since the last time they won a World Series. Yeah, I mean, for them to have that payroll, and like you said, you know, money doesn't always equate to winning 
money guarantees you a playoff t- uh, spot most times. Not all the time. I don't know if it's looking like that. I mean, there's plenty right of baseball. Now, but, but Yeah, I mean, in years past, though, like we talked about this I think a couple of shows ago, all the teams have spent a little bit of money. The Washington Nationals signing Pat Corbin to a five-year, $150 million deal, winning a World Series. Mm-hmm. I mean, your um, Phillies as well have spent some money on, spent on Bryce some money. Harper. It hasn't necessarily translated to complete success yet. We're seeing that, though. They've catapulted to 500 and in the playoff race. Yeah. So, I mean, to win and get there, money helps. But it doesn't always matter. I mean, which shows you why the Rays have made it. shows you why the Indians have been competitive for years. Um, and shows you, like, teams like the Giants, who went on a three-world series run back in the 2010s mm-hmm. early 2010s I that was mean, a great team they won three world series with madison bumgardner on essentially a rookie contract um backed by veteran pitchers who weren't making much money so but i mean that nls though if you're looking at it dodgers giants padres all have more than 10 wins and then you have the diamondbacks and rockies no. who can't even crack eight wins yeah, I, mean, I mean it's just like so lopsided in that division it's just like i i wouldn't I would not like to play against those teams that I mean, often. The Dodgers are going to win the division. The Padres of course. are struggling a little bit. Um, well, I mean, yeah. Tatis just got back, correct? Right. Yeah, so I mean... And then the Giants are... Nobody expects the Giants to be a playoff they team. Were, they were... They came... They're playing solid. So, you never know, but they're they're more of a 500 team than a, and then a playoff team right now. I mean, still, again, plenty of baseball to be played. We might see the Yankees come out of nowhere, uh-huh. but I don't see it happening, I really. Hope not. I don't. I, I hope not either. I mean, if there's any fans in baseball, I kind of equal Yankees fans to Cowboys fans. Mm-hmm. Not that's that I know what it's like fair. to be a Cowboys fan or anything like that, but I just know that they're very annoying and they gloat about success that they had hundreds of years ago. That doesn't really matter uh-huh. to, to in, today, in today's world. I don't think the Yankees winning in the early 1900s really has any effect on on us right now it's a completely different game of baseball in that yeah, fact absolutely but i mean austin do, do you have anything else to add here on uh, the latest edition of midnight mania sports i don't think so i think you know it's, it's an exciting time you know the playoff pushes are about to begin for the bruins and the celtics mm-hmm. so it, it should be lots of fun ahead and playoffs in boston are one of the best things in sports, I think there's nothing like it, and hopefully we're seeing you know, a little bit more crowds back in the TD Garden to see uh, the Celtics and Bruins play, and hopefully we see them make a far run. And on behalf of Austin Dakota, I'm George Hathaway. Thank you for watching Midnight Mania Sports. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify and on Instagram and at Twitter at Midmania Sports. Once again, thank you for listening and have a great night.